Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm, of course, your host, Pastor Brad Gray. I serve as the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church right here in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. I am so happy to be coming to you on this uh, on another edition of Pastor Brad's Corner. Uh, this is volume number 29. Uh, and this is a little space that I try to carve out and just kind of reflect on some things that, uh, I've been mulling over, I've been chewing on, uh, things that have just really been impacting me, or even things that I have been reflecting on, especially in light of past or recent sermons. Uh, and I've really found this time useful, uh, and beneficial. <laughs> Hopefully you have too. Uh, sometimes, uh, some of these things can just be a little bit self-serving, only in the fact that, uh, I get a lot of benefit out of it because I just love talking about this stuff. So hopefully you too are encouraged. You too are blessed by just uh, being able to think out loud uh, along with me. That's what I try to do is just think out loud through these and just kind of share what's on my heart. It's been snowing here in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, as a transplant to Pennsylvania, um, this has been a uh, definitely a winter of learning. <laughs> so I'm learning things to either do or don't do or prepare for and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm learning. Uh, I'm, I'm learning stuff. I'm learning that my driveway isn't a driveway that you shovel. It's one that you need a snowblower for. And you know what? That's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm learning stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I-, I will just share this here. Uh, I-, I posted about it on social media. But I just want to say, too, that my neighbors have been so helpful um, and I'm so grateful to them. Uh, I was out there shoveling my driveway one morning and I feel like my neighbor had pity on me, uh, perhaps, or perhaps it was just a divine moment of grace. Uh, that's what I like to think because he came over and, and helped me snow blow my driveway. And, uh, that was, that really was incredible. It just took me aback. Uh, and I was really grateful, f- uh, grateful to him for that, that just act of kindness, that act of neighboring. Um, and, uh, I'm kind of grateful to, to know that, uh, you know, the lost art of neighboring isn't entirely lost. It's not completely gone away. It hasn't gone the way of the dodo, so to speak. <laughs> um, and, uh, we can still be, uh, neighborly to those people that we are living with. It, it, I think it's so fascinating sometimes how, uh, we, 
we can be living with with people, living around people in the same vicinity as them and, and not really know them, not really do any sort of life with them. And so that's something that God's been uh, teaching me, but also just showing me too, to uh, just be a neighbor, be <laughs> be a neighbor that, that shows deference and kindness and uh, grace. Uh, I think that's what God calls us to. So anyways, I'm learning uh, about the snow uh in terms of you know i i i'm familiar with this type of weather but i'm not familiar with this type of like onslaught of this type of weather if i can say it that way um with one big dumping of of snow followed by another big dumping of snow <laughs> it's just piling on top of each other uh but you know god is good we are loving where we are doing ministry, and uh, I am so grateful to be uh, pastoring Stonington uh, and just ministering alongside some really good brothers in the ministry, and and hopefully we are doing something for the kingdom of God that, that glorifies God. That's been uh, our goal. Uh, that's my goal. My, my goal is to exalt Christ crucified, and uh, I'm going to try and stick with that as long as God gives me breath. So uh, let's get right into some of the things I want to talk about uh, after I just kind of rambled for a little bit, and uh, hopefully you're okay with that. Um, so this past Sunday, we only had one service. Uh, we had a morning service, and I was so grateful to be uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 1. So this sermon um, has been in my mind, I would say, for probably about two months. Um, and that's just kind of how it goes. Some of the, some sermons are like really fast and like you, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is just on fire, so to speak, and I can study and write in a very short amount of time, so to speak. Other sermons take a while to marinate. Um, and I think what was making this sermon uh, marinate for so long is just trying to grasp the 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 entirety of what Paul is doing through Second Corinthians, and to do that uh, requires a little bit of of history of contextualizing what Paul is writing, um, uh, especially when he's writing it, and perhaps what his motivations are behind uh, writing certain parts of his letter. Because Second Corinthians is a really interesting book. Uh, after studying it, I definitely, hopefully. Um, one day want to be able to preach through the Corinthian letters, um, but especially Second Corinthians, just because it doesn't follow the normal, you know, St. Paul pattern of going through a sort of very logical, syllogistic argument, so to speak, of proving a specific doctrines per se. It's really just Paul talking. Uh, Paul talking about why his authority is true and why the gospel is good, even to those who are suffering, especially to those who are suffering, and why suffering doesn't disqualify anyone from the gospel. It actually qualifies them, as he says in the, the most famous, I think, I, is this the most famous? I don't know. It's one of the most famous Apostle Paul verses, Second <laughs> uh, Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, where he talks about boasting in his weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon him and all that sorts of things. Um, and, and just trying to understand Paul's thought process through this letter, because, uh, and so that's, I, I think that's why it took me a while to have this sermon kind of fully develop. But also too, um, 
I just wanted to really be clear with what I was going to say. And hopefully that came through. <laughs> um, because really the theme of the entire letter, and this is the theme that I, 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 by the Spirit, pulled out, was the comfort that God gives us in our discomfort. And so he's writing to this church. He's writing to people who have been discomforted by present surroundings. This Corinthian church were, were going through a season of turmoil um, and strife and scandal. Um, but it is also that strife and scandal, which they were kind of uh, saying uh, because of all the suffering that Paul went through, uh, kind of disqualified him for being from being an apostle, being a true authority. So there was almost a, a an, another gospel being sort of postured uh, by those in the surrounding areas. And such is why Paul is writing this letter, because he's basically explaining himself. He's almost vindicating his reputation. And I don't mean that in a very prideful way from Paul. He's doing it in a way because, because precisely because, well, let me put it this way. They were misunderstanding Paul's suffering. And Paul wanted to rightly realign that view of suffering, not because they he wanted to be one that was seen as good and right and true and all those sorts of things, because in their misunderstanding of Paul's suffering, they were misunderstanding the gospel. Um, they were misunderstanding what a gospel of a suffering Savior really looks like and what that means and why it's so important. <laughs> and it's precisely why he he spends so much time uh, comforting these churchgoers, this congregation. It's precisely because the gospel of suffering is the gospel of of comfort. And comfort is a word that should be defined, and really what it means throughout this letter is almost like a calling near. It's, it's, it's a presence uh, that is very close alongside of that brings solace and relief. And so you can see that this has very, very profound, I think, Christocentric uh, implications. The fact that God's comfort is his uh, coming alongside of sufferers to bring them solace and relief um, brings up all kinds of of gospel truths that we should rightly be uh, influenced and impassioned by. And that's really one of the things that I just wanted to reflect on a little bit more, only because the comfort that God gives is precisely the discomfort of his own son. Uh, and this is something that I tried to draw out. Um, so I, I camped, so to speak, I, I camped out in the first seven verses of Second Corinthians 1, only because the word comfort there appears ten times, uh, out of the 29 times in the entire book. So the book is 13 chapters, and in one chapter alone, it, there's more than one-third of those references uh, appearing in a span of five verses. Uh, so obviously, Paul has something on his mind, and it's precisely, I think, what comes to the surface here is, well, let me just read a couple of these verses, because these verses are just so good. Um, so 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Paul writes, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. How about that for a title of God? The God of all comfort. And really, 
Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, uh, God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation aboundeth by Christ. I love the fact that Paul is always driving thoughts back towards Jesus Christ. He's driving his thoughts back towards his passion and death. And he's saying that because of Jesus' passion and death, that's where we find our most distinctive comfort, our most incredible uh, sense that, that God is with us. Yes, even in our suffering, in our tribulation, in this, as he says later on in the chapter, that in this pressing beyond measure of their lives, of their, their faith even, I would say that that's precisely where God is found. And it's this beautiful picture that in Christ's sufferings, as he says there in verse 5, that that's where he found his consolation, that God was near to him in his own tribulation because God was near to the tribulation of all human beings in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is where we get this wonderful truth of substitution. So, uh, we can spend some time perhaps reflecting on the doctrine of substitution, the the fact that Jesus stands in the stead of sinners, and it's precisely here that that Paul is even uh, hinting at this, which he will much later on get more into detail about, especially in that famous verse in chapter five. But what he's what he's hinting at here is that Paul is comforted precisely because Christ was not comforted. So Christ, I, 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 maybe some theological school uh, scholars would would try to be questioning where I'm coming with this, but I just see here in this passage, Paul here referencing again the fact that in Jesus' passion and death we find comfort because Jesus died. He 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 died for sins. He took on all of the horrors of the cross, the, the horrors of sin, the horrors of this world. Uh, he himself uh, felt in his body for us, and there was no relief for him. There was no uh, comfort for him. There was no assuaging um, of that discomfort. It was all felt by the Lord Jesus. And here I was meaning to bring out a particular verse from Psalm 69. So in Psalm 69 verse 20, we have this wonderful confession. Almost a, You can hear it almost coming out of the lips of Jesus. Uh, Psalm 69 20, reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. You can hear out. <laughs> you can hear that almost Christ speaking these words, and it's the, precisely the fact that he wasn't uh, comforted in his tribulation. That's where we find our comfort. Oh, I find such, I find such amazing grace in that. I find such amazing, 
pity and, and, and sovereign compassion from the Lord Jesus and the fact that he uh, took our place of abandonment so that we might never be abandoned by the Father. This is the comfort of substitution. <laughs> and it's comfort that doesn't go away. Um, this is something that I, I, I feel very strongly uh, that this is the precise message that sufferers need to hear, that those who are discomforted, they need this all the more in this present day, in this life of present darkness, we could say. Um, it is precisely the fact that God comforts those who are beaten down, those who are trodden down um, in their sins, in their uh, devastation, in their tribulation. He comes as the one who was devastated on their behalf. Uh, this is the wonderful news of the gospel. Uh, substitution is the name of the game. Substitution is what he's going to get to later on. Uh, and it's precisely that Jesus took our place. I, I, I have been trying to really meditate on what that means because I think it's so profound. Uh, and, and profound in a way that it, it, it resonates to the nth degree, we could say, that Jesus stands in the place where sinners should have stood. By rights, they should have stood in that place uh, of, of, of great shame, of great punishment, of, of great guilt. And Jesus stands there instead. This is the comforting message of the gospel, and this is the precise reason why the only message that you and I are called to share, are called to everywhere proclaim, isn't some profound, incredibly insightful, wise thing. It's the message of Christ. He's our, he's our message. As Paul is here saying that we are going, that when we are comforted in our tribulation, that we are then called to be ministers of comfort to others who are in tribulation, which is essentially what he's saying. He means that we are ministering Christ to them. We are ministering a suffering savior to other sufferers. That's the church. This is a picture of the church that, that those who are broken are ministering to other broken people precisely with the message of a Savior who was broken on behalf of those people. This is the gospel on full display and high contrast, and it's right here in Second Corinthians 1. Um, this is the gospel of comfort. I really uh, pray that you are able to listen to that sermon, and I pray that it blesses you. I pray that it encourages you with the precise words that that I need to hear, that I, and I think that many others need to hear in this moment of of just concern and 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 discomfort. So I, I pray, I pray that you listen, and I pray that it that you find much blessing uh, in in that message. So uh, really quick before we get into the rest of the show, uh, I want to take a quick word and share a word from this podcast presenting sponsor. Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. 
fresh roasted USDA certified organic coffee beans. Ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. On to the rest of the show. Uh, I want to share a few things that I'm reading, and then I want to talk about some uh, two articles. And one of them, I have a lengthier sort of excerpt from that article, so we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, you'll stay with me <laughs> for a little bit at least. Um, what am I reading right now? So as I've been saying, I've been trying to read uh, some things that I'm closing off. Uh, I've been reading uh, C.H. Spurgeon's The Saint and His Savior, so I'm trying to finish that out. Uh, his sermons in this book, in this particular volume, are incredibly long, so <laughs> I'm really doing my best to try and get that finished, uh, but they're just really long sermons. Uh, another one that I've actually started reading, and I've told you before, I've broken my New Year's resolution, so I'm just reading other stuff that I want to now. Uh, but I'm reading John Henry Jowett's God, Our Contemporary, which is a collection of his uh, sermons. Uh, I love John Henry Jowett's writing. He is, uh, he's just really profound, really insightful. And one of his, and really just the first sermon, it just kind of slapped me over the face. It slapped me over the head because he's talking about prayer and he's talking about um, what you know, prayer ought to look like, so to speak. And he's, there's this really incredible quote, and I'm going to read it to you. This comes from John Henry Jowett's God, Our Contemporary, the first sermon. He says, there is many an anxiety that looks gigantic until we set it in the holy field of prayer in the presence of the Lord. (laughs) And I just, I I just love that picture uh, because it's so true. There's so many things that uh, when we're in our lives that appear so gigantic and mammoth and, and massive that this thing is going to end all, is the end all be all thing that, that is going to sort of do us in, so to speak. And, I just really, <laughs> I'm I'm really thankful for this thought of the fact that, yeah, maybe to you it appears that big, but things that appear big to us are are minuscule to him, and that's not meant to demean or dismiss your present problems. It's actually meant to invite you to hope in the fact that the things that have you weighed down, they are nothing to God. He is so powerful and sovereign that he is gigantic over all of your issues, over all your anxieties. And such is why we are called to cast our care, cast our anxiousness onto this big, gigantic God in whom the face of these things appear rather small, rather uh, th- things that he can, he can 
do uh, so much with. Um, I, I'm thankful for that thought. Go read these sermons by uh, Jowett. He has a really unique way of approaching certain texts, and I've just I've been really thankful uh, for his writing. So I hope you take advantage of that. Uh, a couple of things that have been helpful to me this week. Um, I read an article by David McLemore. Uh, so David McLemore is a guy that I I don't even know how I found. I think he's connected to uh, Midwestern somehow. Uh, I don't even remember now. Uh, but I've I connected with him on social media, and I found his blog, and I've really enjoyed the way that he writes. Um, and he so he wrote an article uh, entitled "The Bible Warned Us About This." Uh, and basically what he does here is he surveys uh, a little bit of the life of David uh, and his ascent to the throne, and especially he uh, pinpoints sort of the season of David's life at the end of First Samuel chapter 27, where he was almost functioning as a mercenary, to use David's words, uh, and there's not much God in this chapter. And, I, and as David points out, that this isn't by accident. It's not by accident uh, to see the absence of God in this chapter. It's precisely because David is is in a falling pattern, so to speak, and it's disarming. And it's disarming to see this one that we often loft as being so uh, spiritual and high and mighty and one that we should live up to as sort of the paragon of spiritual life. And it's, and it's here where we see him in a moment of incredible weakness and incredible uh, being incredibly far away from, from God himself. And so... Um, and all of that is precisely the point. So this is what Macklemore writes. He he writes this in, in, in just a really profound, succinct way. He wraps up like this. He says, quote, Putting our faith in someone other than Jesus will inevitably lead to disappointment. Yet we do it anyway. And that's why it hurts so bad when our heroes fall. The solution isn't to never have a hero. I don't think we can live that way. We need someone to look up to. We just must be sure we're looking to the right one. Jesus is all the hero we will ever need with none of the failures of all the others. He will never let us down. End quote. I love the... I'm sort of a sucker, I guess you could say, for any language that talks about Jesus being the hero. And I love just that thought that not only is it the hero of the Bible, but he's the hero that we need in our lives because it speaks, I think, to where a lot of us are. And there are so many that I think get wrapped up in celebrity pastors and they loft them up as heroes. And then when they crash and burn, their faith is totally fractured and cracked. And it's it's sad to me when those when those heroes do fall, but it's also sad to me the aftermath, uh, the ashes of those falls is often, and the repercussions of them are often felt by many people that we don't often hear about. And it's precisely because their faith uh, ends up being fractured, it ends up being cracked, and it's 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 devastating. And it's precisely because their hero is in the wrong person. Uh, their hero should be Jesus. Uh, and there's passages like this all over the Bible, uh, I think, that are precisely there to point us to that reason, that these that we have as the, quote, heroes of the faith, they're just humans. They're humans who fail. They're humans who mess up. 
and there will hum- there are humans who will let us down. And that's why we need Jesus. We need Jesus because he will never let us down. Uh, definitely read that article. David writes in a really, really clear way, and I'm really thankful uh, for his article. And the next one is a little bit different, uh, but I really wanted to highlight it just because I found so much benefit from it. So uh, I'm really thankful to my friends over at Mockingbird because they always point me to some articles that I don't often uh, read about. Um, and here is, I think, one of those examples. Uh, I'm, this article is uh, an article by Arthur C. Brooks, and he's writing um, for The Atlantic, so he has a regular column for The Atlantic. Uh, and this one is entitled, Stop Keeping the Score. And really what he talks about throughout this article is just the, uh, the notion of happiness as derived from scorekeeping uh, or from ch- uh, box checking in our lives, so to speak. And that'll make more sense as I read. So I'm going to read several uh, paragraphs from this article just because I think he presents this, this point in such a profound way uh, that I don't want to leave it un- <laughs> unnoticed or uh, sort of uncommented on. So uh, this is Arthur C. Brooks. He writes, quote, We naturally seek outside sources of quantitative evidence of our progress and effectiveness, and thus our happiness. Every cultural message we get is that happiness can be read off of a scorecard of money, education, experiences, relationships, and prestige. Want the happiest life? Check the boxes of success and adventure, and do it as early as possible. Then move on to the next set of boxes. She who dies with the most checked boxes wins, right? Wrong. I don't mean that accomplishment and ambition are bad, but that they are simply not the drivers of our happiness. By the time many people figure that this out on their own, they have spent a lifetime checking things off lists, yet are unhappy and don't know why. Relying on external rewards lowers satisfaction. You will like your job less if your primary motivation is prestige or money. You will appreciate your relationships less if you choose your friends and partners based on their social standing. You will relish your vacation less if you choose the destination for how it will look on social media. The scorecard approach to life also feeds right into a known human tendency that drives us away from happiness. People often have trouble finding lasting satisfaction from worldly rewards because as soon as we acquire something, our desire resets and we are looking to the next reward. Check one box and another one immediately appears. And of course, it's always a bigger box. It's always aspirational. We will have more, perform better, get richer. Again, there's nothing wrong with aspiration. But if your happiness depends on an escalating list of worldly accomplishments, you might soon find that your fear of failure supplants your ambition. End quote. There is a lot here. <laughs> and I think that there's a lot here precisely because what he's getting at, I, and I don't know uh, the faith status of Arthur Brooks, but I would say too that what he's getting at is precisely what Solomon gets at all throughout Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book with I, which I think decimates scorekeeping as an approach to life, or especially as an approach to happiness. Um, and I, I think, though, what I what I got out of this 
because I was reading this and I was obviously thinking about Ecclesiastes and more of the theological, I think you could say, approach to just life itself and happiness and all sorts of things, which I think are right to comment on. Uh, but for some reason, what was striking me is just how this is so often the way we approach our spiritual life. We approach it as if we need to be incessantly checking the boxes of success. And may I say this? Faith. May I say this? Discipleship. We have often been duped into thinking that being a Christian is, is checking off or reading off a scorecard of discipleship. And as long as we're checking these boxes, we are doing something that could be uh, called uh, the successful Christian life. As if that could be one in such a way of, of scorekeeping. <laughs> But the fact of the matter, this is false. Happiness, success, faithfulness isn't checked off by you. It's given to you by Jesus. He is not just your happiness, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Let me read this verse. We often miss this. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Precisely that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That's what you should remember. That's what I'm trying to remember. The Christian life is not a life in which we, <laughs> we can check off religious tick marks and have a sanctification of scorekeeping. That's, that's not what the gospel announces. The gospel announces that your assurance isn't found in a stressful and anxious uh, sort of scorekeeping and box-checking of religious merit badges and spiritual trophies. It's found in the assurance of Christ's blood, which accepts you in your sin, in your repentance. And so, as you come to him in repentance, you are assured wholly and freely of God's holiness gifted to you. Which brings us back again to what we talked about at the beginning, substitution. I truly believe that focusing, honing in, and reflecting on the gospel of substitution is the greatest way a Christian of any age, of any experience, can find assurance, can find, may I say, happiness, I would say, call it peace. There's a spiritual settling that takes place when we reflect and exalt the gospel of God's substitution for us. And it doesn't come from scorekeeping, because guess what? Jesus has already made all the scorebooks closed. He's canceled all the games. He's canceled all of those systems of scorekeeping and box checking that we like to hone in on and focus on. He has canceled it all. And he says, I am your assurance. This is the gospel of comfort. <laughs> and it comes to play in so many different areas of our life. I'm so thankful that we have a God who comforts us in our tribulation. 
Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Ministry Minded Podcast. I'm Pastor Brad Gray. Uh, connect with me. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar, uh, connect with me on my blog, graceupongrace.net. This is the Ministry Minded Podcast. You can subscribe to this wherever you get podcasts, uh, any other of those platforms you can find us on. Um, and uh, I just really want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, I appreciate all your notes of encouragement and your support and your comments and all the different ways that you have blessed me. You truly have blessed me in, in many ways that I don't even think that you realize. So thank you so much. Uh, and I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. <laughs>